Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins. For your perfect workspace, living space or hideaway, timberliving.ie. We are, of course, in a decade of commemorations and there's another big one coming up next weekend. And I'm joined now from the BBC studios in London by Dr Nilo Flaherty, Senior Lecturer in the History of European Political Thought at King's College London, and Marty McCarthy of the... Folk Universität in Stockholm. And of course, if you know your modern history, you will know that they are that, but you might know them better as Knopf and Marty from Cork band The Sultans of Ping. Good afternoon, lads. Hi, Brendan. Hi, how Brendan. Are how are you doing? Yeah, I've never been introduced that way, actually. But Did you like no, that? Thank you. I loved it. Yeah. OK. Yeah, getting a bit of respect. Yes, exactly. Finally. But listen, don't be trying to talk about uh, the history of European political thought. We'll do it another day, OK? I'll spare you that. We have a, a more historic occasion, 30 years since your debut album, Casual Sex at the Cineplex, and uh, and the hit single Where's Me Jumper, of course. And you're back on stage next weekend to market, and there's a radio documentary going out about you in a couple of days. Nile, are you enjoying the flurry of excitement? Not especially, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Um you know, uh, I, 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 I'm not experiencing any of this excitement myself and we're a bit cut off from it here, getting a lot of texts asking for tickets. But um, uh, listen, uh, what can we say? We've got to be thankful that this at this stage of our lives, um, people are still want to come and see us. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't get my head around it, really. Um, we'll, we'll give it our best. And Marty, you, you've you've convened in London, I know, to rehearse uh, ahead of the shows at the Opera House next weekend. How are the rehearsals going? Um, bordering on the edge of chaos, as always <laughs> with Sultans. <laughs> I think, yeah, we, we it normally works out OK on the night. So um, I think we work on the same premise. So I think we'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. L- listen, so Marty, two nights at the Opera House, you're sandwiched in between. I was looking, Michael McIntyre and tenor Finbar Wright then is on the, uh, the following week. Is this your first time playing at the Opera House. It's the very first time. I think we've played everywhere else in Cork, but not the Opera House. So it's it's great to go where we used to watch the pantomime when we were when we were kids. <laughs> you feel like Billa up there. Billa, exactly. Billa was always a rival on stage. So I never thought I'd see a rock band even in the Opera House. So it's great that the Opera House have expanded and I have a lot of rock bands on now. So we're delighted to be playing there. Yeah, and it, it it is like maybe people from outside of Cork mightn't understand, but it is kind of arriving being on the stage in the Opera House, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> big big time for sure. And Nile, are you excited about that part of things, the Opera House stage? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I hear all the great singers, you know, have played that stage. It's about time I had the invite, I got the invite. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, the thing is, Brendan, yeah. we practised for this one. OK, but listen... I, if I remember correctly, singers don't like practising, sure they don't, because it's all about like the, the guys who play the instruments getting things right and you're just waiting and waiting. Presumably, now you know the songs already. You're thinking, why do I need to be here? Yes, all for them. I do it all for them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, um, uh, other bands might be able to play without the singer. Unfortunately, this one can't. So Is they need a- you. But that said, Brendan, in rehearsals, I think Niall basically talks the song. So we actually don't know what it's going to sound like until the show itself. So we'll okay. see. <laughs> so there's a bit of jeopardy for you there in it. There's and listen, a bit of jeopardy we, we, with us. There is always a bit of jeopardy. Will, will, will there be proud family? And do you guys have kids now and stuff? Yeah, all the kids are coming. I think it's the first time for all the kids to see the band. So, so They're sitting like, out there, Brendan. There's two of them. Uh, 
my daughter and um, Marty's son, they're sitting next to each other. They haven't said a word to each other. They're on, they're on their phones. Of course. Do, so, so what's their level of awareness, Niall? Of like, what, do your kids know you were our rock star? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, she's aware that, uh, you know, I played in this outfit for a long time. She's aware that her daddy has been looking for a pair of uh, black PVC trousers. <laughs> uh, and uh, believe me, um, uh, a man of my age finds it challenging to get Sultan's wear in this day and age. Um, she's, have she's, have she's you aware kept that lied figure, Nile? Listen, when the people come into that hall, you know, uh, next week, they've got to be aware of the sacrifice that I've made. Uh, you know, I, I'm wearing genuine Shinaski shirts, um, genuine Shinaskis, but I did find them a little bit tight at the beginning of the week uh, or two weeks ago. And there, there's been a lot of sacrifice to get into them. So the audience, really, they've already had their money's worth. Okay, so it's kind of it's, it sounds like a Conor McGregor kind of vibe, like you're just getting ready for your for your weigh-in. So there's been, a, I suppose, the last few years there's been a bit of a revival of uh, of love for you in the kind of pop culture universe, hasn't there, Marty? Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, first I mean you'd Moonboy, which used the uh, the Where's My Jumper track, and then you'd Young Offenders with the movie and the series used the track as well. So I just think you know, as well as the old audience, we've picked up a lot of new kids, and we haven't played that much at all in the last ten years. So for a lot of younger people, it will be the first time they're actually old enough to see us. And tell us the story of of the band. Now you started the band in school. It was a school band. I did. Yeah. Um... I start, started it when I was going to uh, Rochestown College and, um, you know, uh, various lineups. We played in the school concert there. Then we started to um, play in the Phoenix and Cork, or the Sir Henry's eventually. Um, but Brendan really chancing our arms, you know. Um, you know, we didn't know what we what we were doing, really. And, and hence, we were kind of astonished when eventually somebody wanted to sign the band though. Yeah. I suppose there was though back then Cork did have a kind of a I, I don't like I don't want to get into this whole like Cork was so quirky or whatever, but there was a kind of a unique ecosystem developed down there, wasn't there? Yeah, I think that's very well put. And uh you know, I, I, I don't like the term quirky either. It was a punk town, you know. Uh people loved their loved their punk music and uh you know, we, we have Stump, of course, from Cork. And, uh, of course, the, the um, Cork out is, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, we're, uh, you know, it was an exciting time to grow up in Cork. And there was a lot of people interested in properly alternative music. You know, these days when people talk about indie, actually, indie is mainstream these days. But back then it wasn't. And... Um, and this was a great place to be if you were playing that kind of music, if you were into it. Um, and, you know, so that was great for us as a band. Yeah, you're right. Like, Indie Now is just another categorization on Spotify. But Marty, back then, like, people really defined themselves by the kind of music they were into or the subculture they were into. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to the tribes, you know, you know, you could be a skinhead, you could be a goth. Uh, I remember going to the first Reading Festival uh, when we played there and 
you know, you had 5,000 of one kind of tribe and 5,000 of... I don't think you see that anymore. You know, people cross over a lot more. I mean, you were clearly defined back then, for sure. Yeah. You were the manager initially, Marty, weren't you? You were kind of the adult. Well, actually, there was a guy He's called... He's still the adult, yeah, yeah. Brendan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a guy called Dara Breen who was the first manager and he, he moved to the UK so he asked me to take over and I think that's where I actually started my teaching uh, experience without realising it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and like Niall's been very modest about you out doing gigs and just chancing your arm. You did, in fairness, become a fairly legendary live band on, on the Cork scene before you were picked up. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, we got very lucky in Cork because we had a big following from the start. I think we had a lot easier than most bands. And that following kind of, I don't think we were great players at the start, but I mean, we had the songs for sure. Um, but the first time we went outside, Cork went up to Limerick, the Cork Road came with us. Same with the first show in Dublin, same with the first show in London. You had 100, 200 Cork people who followed us and kind of created an atmosphere that I think other people wanted to be a part of. And then when you when you got signed to Cork Rocks 1991, I mean, when you think about it now, Cork Rocks was all so quaint, wasn't it? And then did things happen very quickly then, Niall, did they? Absolutely. I mean, we were on the on the boat or on the plane a couple of weeks later and, and we never looked back. Um, and it was so breathless, Brendan. It was just, and that's because we got into England. We, we arrived uh, in Hull to play our first show and we just never stopped playing um, and we you know we'd do 30 30 dates we'd have a weekend off we'd do another 30 we'd have a week off then we'd go to Germany and we'd do 30 dates there so um, totally breathless there just wasn't time to take stock uh, but uh, good times Yeah like Marty at the same time it must have been the dream like for a bunch of young fellas to be suddenly kind of indie pop stars yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it's. I mean, we're very young, Brendan. I mean, uh, I mean, the rest of them were only twenty. I was twenty-one, just turning twenty-two. Uh, naive, you know, we're really naive, and it was it was exciting. I guess it was like Christmas, waiting to see what Santa would bring you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, honestly, we were so innocent. I remember the first, when we played in Hull at Nine mentioned, we actually drove the gear in a van up to the B and I and loaded the gear by hand and sat with the drum kit and the amps on the boat. <laughs> over to and then another van picked it. We didn't even realize you could drive a van over to the UK with the equipment. <laughs> That's how innocent we were. Yeah. And what what were the highlights for you, Marty? I think it's you know Japan was obviously a big highlight. We ended up doing five tours of Japan. I mean that was fantastic to go so far away and people knowing the words of every song. I think that yeah. was very very special. Uh, a lot of European shows. I think the Ramones tour was was fantastic you know the Ramones last European tour in 96 they asked us to support us and we couldn't believe it they were our heroes and yeah. you know Johnny Ramone standing on the side of the stage watching us every night I think that was a highlight for sure yeah I can that imagine that wasn't a highlight for me to well, be honest uh, Brendan because I was the one in Milan who took the coins as they uh, yeah came at, at the at the band um, although we did get about was it 64 euro yeah yeah Okay, so it was like busking on a bigger stage, basically. Yeah, yeah a little yeah. bit. Pizza's all around. With a bit of aggression in, <laughs> in the coin throwing. Yeah. The, the Japan thing is funny because I remember at the time, like, people in Cork, like, kind of half jealous and half in awe, saying, like, the Sultans are like the Beatles in Japan. There's all these screaming <laughs> girls and everything. <laughs> I don't think we're quite the Beatles, but yeah, yeah. but it was lots of screaming, all right, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, Where's Me Jumper was, was it the first single, yeah? That was the first single, yeah, back in 92, yeah. Yeah. 
and massive uh, hit in Ireland and kind of like an indie hit in England. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. I think we were always a mainstream band, Brandon, in, in Ireland. You know, we got great support from RT and all the newspapers in Ireland, really. But in, in Britain, it was definitely, you know, a cult band, a university college band, for sure. So it was a difference in the audience. Yeah, but you did outsell, I see here. You so outsold Brian Adams, everything I do, I do it for you, that that's, year. That still hurts him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he never got over that. <laughs> and then, of course, NME started the whole... Cork Chester kind of scene that Cork was the new Mad Chester basically. Yeah, infuriating in retrospect, um, but that's the way it was. I mean, Matty and I were just talking about this on the way over, Brendan. You know, they ruled the the music scene here, and uh, they, you know, they told you who was cool and who wasn't cool, yeah. and. Um, you know, um, and they became celebrities in their own right, the, the, mm. these music press writers. So um, I can't say I wasn't pleased when I saw them a few years ago giving away the enemy free at the tube station. And the, the, the thing about at the time that people used to say about the enemy and the melody maker and that was that they would build people up, but then just to knock them down. And they, they did kind of, they built up that Corkchester thing and then kind of, moved on from it then very quickly, didn't they? Yeah, I think I think when the Britpop thing started, Brandon, they lost all interest and it was quite scary to live in London at the time with the, I mean, it was madness, that Britpop thing. I mean, how many good albums really came out of Britpop? There wasn't that many. But for the for Enemy and Melody Maker, it was the best thing in the world. And, but was the, when you say scary, was the scene around it like quite kind of jingoistic, Marty? Yeah, I felt a bit uncomfortable. I worked with a lot of these bands doing the merchandise and stuff and... I mean, none of the bands, okay, I mean, Oasis and Blur, except, you know, two fine bands who went on to res- achieve worldwide success. But a lot of bands couldn't get arrested outside of the UK. Mm. So it was very much a UK scene, I think. Yeah, yeah. And you think of, like, what happened, menswear, and <laughs> those also ran <laughs> Britpop bands. So now the thing about G is, and I'm glad to see that you're obviously still talking and everything, because there could be a residual bitterness over this. There was a, there was a third album, which was a bit more of a grown-up album, and Marty, there was a tour of America booked. Do you want to explain why the tour didn't go ahead? Um, well, yeah, I think, you know, in fairness, you know, with Niall, Niall always liked to keep moving forward with the music. And the third album was a very, very different album than the first. It was a real rock album. Um, we were offered a big tour of the States. Half of the shows were in Irish venues and half of the shows were in, you know, American rock clubs. And they they wanted us to do, you know, the Where's Me Jumpers and Stupid Kids, all the first album, you know, for the Irish audience. And, Niall just wanted to promote the new album. So, yeah, I definitely, you know, two different strands of the band want to do different things, I guess, for sure. OK, but you're OK with that now, Marty, that he ruined yeah, everything for yeah, you. Yeah, look, yeah. <laughs> you're over it. <laughs> so well then a- afterwards, Niall, did you did you then join a band in Japan for a while? No, no, I, I didn't join a band. I had my own band here uh, for a while and we, we did, you know, um, couple of years I, I wrote for a couple of bands in Japan and I produced an album or two um, they did okay uh, obviously not top of the charts but um, yeah so I I, I I was a producer and a writer for a little while okay so you kept the music going and Marty you didn't you nearly kind of um, nearly happen for you were you the band was it Craig Walker and Ian Olney yeah, so Craig Walker and Inali from Power of Dreams. Yeah, we had a band called or from Pharmacy. Cypress Mine. 
Yeah, that's right. You could yeah. say, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, we got a big deal in the US and OEM's producer was booked in to produce the album and yeah, the label collapsed, unfortunately. So yeah, I think that was the end for me in London then. I just needed a break from, from playing music for a while. So I moved out to Sweden then after that. Yeah, as the story goes, uh, to move in with your Swedish pen pal. <laughs> pen pal, yeah, I wouldn't say pen pal exactly, but yeah, it is true that that does you know, sound was, a bit that, that could potentially yeah. sound a bit creepy and weird. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I um, yeah, it was yeah a girl I met working at a venue when Sutton's played her once. You know, got her address, and you know, back then people didn't have mobile phones. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it is true. I did write to her for three years before eventually we decided to to become an item. So, but not pen pal. I think she'd be a bit upset by that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then, uh, Marty, you st- did you start working for Oasis after that? Um, so yeah, at the time it's the tail end of the Sultans. Um, I bought a van, so we actually had a van in the UK to drive around. So um, apart from getting stopped all the time by the British police, an Irish man driving a transit van in the nineties around the UK probably wasn't the wisest thing. Um, in my time with off, a hold all, yeah, with, <laughs> with a hold all as well. Um, but basically, the merch company who produced the Sultan stuff, they um, asked me would I work with Oasis, who were a new band starting out at the time, and they asked me if I had a truck license and. I don't know if you remember, Brent, I don't know when you got your Irish driving licenses, but everybody had yes. a truck license, I think it's pre-91. <laughs> so I said, of course, I can drive a truck. And I'd never even sat in a truck in my life. And uh, off I went on an 18-month tour with them. <laughs> and you still work in March. You work for Radiohead mainly now, do you? Yeah, yeah. I've been doing Radiohead for the last uh, 17 years now. And I'm yeah working uh, Tom and Johnny from Radiohead of a band called The Smile. So I've been doing them all year. So it's been fun. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, I actually I ignored that Smile album a bit when it came out last year, but I just started listening to it in the last month. It's a it's a phenomenal album, isn't it? Yeah, it's an ex- excellent record. Yeah, 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 really good. Getting a great response. Yeah. Niall, do you do your students know of your other life? Uh, one can't have a past these days. Of course, uh, Brendan. Yeah. yeah. So they tend to. Yeah. They they generally do. Do you feel it undermines them taking you seriously on the history of modern European thought? Yes, I do. Yeah. It, it does undermine it. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Well, listen, guys, uh, great to talk to you. And uh, so enjoy the gigs next weekend. Will there be more Sultan's activity? We'll see if we survive these, Brandon. We take one gig at a time, you know. If we come out the other end, you never know. Um, yeah. I we'll presume it, it'll, it comes down to, you don't want to say this, it comes down to can you fit into the pants or not? Is that basically it's it? It's got a lot to do with that. OK, well, listen. Good, can good. I stand on the heels? <laughs> OK, guys, good luck with it. Great to talk to you. And Dancing in the Discord, the stories of the Sultan's Ping will be broadcast on RTX 2XM on Monday the 6th of February at 6pm that's that's Monday coming and it'll be repeated on Saturday the 11th of February and I presume if people don't listen to their radio in a linear manner anymore and they can't find that there'll be a podcast floating around The Sultans of Ping play the Cork Opera House on Friday the 10th and Saturday the 11th of February that's next weekend Saturday night sold out some tickets still there for uh, Friday night come here guys there's a, there's a text in here there are there are a lot of kind of um, catty texts about Cork here, right? But there's a text here. I think it could actually be a song for you if you find you want to write a new song. Why are Cork people so insular is is what that texter has to say. So there you go. That could be the next Sultan's album. Why are <laughs> Cork right. people so insular? Concept album. Yeah. What? 
a concept album. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Lasting many, many years and going down generations. <laughs> Noyla Flaherty and Marty McCarthy of the Sultans of Ping, thank you very much. We'll take a break. Email brendan at rte.ie.